0: Well, with all that in mind, let us turn to Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 6, which can be found on page 11 in a few Bibles or page 20 in the large print. Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for the ways that you have continued to reveal yourself to us through creation, through uh, your written word, and mostly, most of all, through Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Lord, we ask that this morning, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, God, that you would give us ears to hear. Minds to understand, and hearts ready to be changed by you and for you. That we would become ever more today by your word and your spirit, the people that you created us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter fifteen says after this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Turning then to Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 40, which can be found on page 846. Your are few Bibles, are 1620 in the large print. Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. Jesus, speaking with his disciples, says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. I started too late. I started 35. 32. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We will be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, which is actually one of, not only the most famous chapters in the book of Hebrews, but one of the most famous chapters in all of the New Testament, and maybe even all of the Bible. Yesterday, as you know, was Valentine's Day, and a lot of people are talking about love. Good reason. We're going to skip that one today. You know in the, uh, in the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when it talks all about love, it actually ends by saying, you know, everything, all these other things are going to pass away. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Well, today we'll actually be talking more about faith and hope, and primarily faith. And what is it that, uh, why is it that that's one of those things that's going to remain after everything else has passed away? Why is it that faith remains. Why is it that hope remains? What are these what do these things have to do with us? And try to dispel some of the um, misunderstandings about what faith is. You know, Paul also writes in Ephesians chapter uh, two, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This faith seems to have a pretty central role, and in fact, that's what, uh, the author to the Hebrews is saying. Writing to these Hebrew, uh, people who had been following Jesus, but now had been thinking about maybe turning away, and he says, no, no, no. And last week we looked at, um, we looked at some encouragements and some things. Here's what you can actually do practically as a Christian. Today, we'll get some more of that in a couple of weeks. But for today and next week, we're going to kind of take a step back again and look at sort of an Old Testament, all of the Old Testament in two Sundays. Do it in two chapters, or in one chapter. We'll split it up into two. But um, someday I would love to take this one chapter and spend like a year in it. <laughs> and go through everybody they mentioned. Because what he does, he just runs through person after person after person of uh, in chronological order from the Old Testament and says, remember how the whole Old Testament began? Remember how everything in the world began? And then remember what happened next and what happened next and this person and this person and this person in our history? And all the people in, that he would have been writing to, these Hebrew people, would have said, yeah, yeah, we know all of that. And today we go, eh, that kind of sounds familiar. Some of it. So I'd love to actually go through person by person to get us as familiar with all these names as they would have been then. I think this chapter would mean even so much more. But for today, all we're going to be able to do is kind of give that flying over survey of it all as he uh, relates it to see what it means to give these examples of people who lived by faith. Last week... We also uh, defined faith kind of as a good working understanding of it, which is now on the cover of your bulletin there, so you can take that home and hang it on your refrigerator or something. <laughs> uh, following actively, I trust him. In other words, faith is not just something that we believe to be true, but doesn't affect our lives at all. Faith is actually something where we believe it to be true, and because we believe it to be true, it actually completely changes how we live. That's what uh, biblical faith is all about. And here are some examples. Starting in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We'll go through 16 today, I hope. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Did you hear that? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So now we're going to run through who some of these ancients were, these people who lived before, these elders of the past. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was committed as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's where we're going to stop. But hopefully, as we read through all of those uh, people, you recognize that there was a phrase that just kept coming back again and again. By faith, by faith, by faith. And yet, even though sometimes we think about you know what faith is is just making sure we believe the right things and that's it. There's not a whole lot of this that's describing what they believe. And sometimes we think that having you know enough faith is just um, believing that something's going to happen with no evidence. That's not it either, you know. And so you can have somebody who says, "Oh, I believe that um, that I'm going to win the lottery," and so. <laughs> You know, I I bought the ticket, and they say somebody's going to win, and I believe that somebody is me. (laughs) You have all the faith you want to. I don't think that's going to make one bit of difference in the outcome of that lottery. Um, However, what we see with all these people is that their faith is what actually changed their lives. That They started living differently because of their faith. And so what we see is evidence after evidence of their faith in what they're doing. And so you have, um, you have Abel who's actually offering a sacrifice. That's a good sacrifice. Why? Because he gets that first part that we had just skipped over there. Of, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That, that everything that exists came from God. It didn't just sort of happen on its own. And everything is just sort of a matter of chance. See, if you were in the lottery game and uh, and somebody said, you know, you can't have faith about this, this is just a game of chance. And somebody, uh, you say, no, 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 I do have faith that I'm going to win because I know somebody who's running the lottery and they've assured me I'm going to win. Okay, that may work, but they'll probably get in a lot of trouble <laughs> because they are now uh, getting involved in what is supposed to be a game of chance. And I think that's one of the things that really bugs people about the idea of God creating the world is when they have kind of adopted this idea that the whole universe is set up as one big game of chance. Then for anybody to say otherwise, that somebody's actually intervening, that somebody's actually controlling or manipulating any of it, they say, ah, it's cheating, you can't do that. <laughs> and so there's kind of this instinctive, no, not that. But he says, actually, that's where it all begins. It is saying we understand that that's where it all came from. And that everything else kind of comes from that. This understanding that God is overall, he is the creator of it all, and therefore, he is the one who gets to rule it all. And in case you think, by the way, that I'm setting up some sort of distinction between, um, or separation between uh, theology and science, between science and the Bible, that sort of thing, I am not. One of my favorite quotes uh, comes from Dr. Francis Collins, who is a very good scientist in his own right, one of the uh, heads of the project, the Human Genome Project, and uh, also a devout Christian. And one of the things he said is, talking about this issue between science and religion, he said, you know, science is not threatened by God. It is enhanced. And God is certainly not threatened by science because he made it all possible. I love that. The idea that when understood rightly, they go together very, very well. But it all begins here with this understanding that that God is the creator. And in fact, that's one of the ways in which science is enhanced. It's when we understand that there is a creator who made things intentionally and with purpose. And so many scientific discoveries have come from Christians who say, why would God have made it this way? Let me examine that. And there it goes from there. So, not something like that, but I certainly don't want to think, want us to think it's just this all, this game of chance. And this is where Abel starts to have this faith, that God is overall. So when he offers his sacrifice and Cain offers his sacrifice, they're not the same, and there have been many ideas as to what makes those different, but I think the main difference comes down to this. It says that Abel actually brought some of the best parts of the first things, the first parts of his offering, of all his animals. And then Cain brought, you know, some of his crops. And I think that distinction right there shows the difference in their heart. That for Abel, he was already believing and trusting God that you are the creator of everything, and if my animals have their babies, and these are the first ones that they've had, and I have no guarantee I'm going to have any more, this may be it. I'm still going to give those to you because I believe they're yours. And I believe that you're the one who created all of it. I believe it all ultimately belongs to you and I believe that if I give them to you, if you provided these, you can provide more. On the other hand, if you give just, I'll take what I need first and if I have any left over, God, then you get those. This is Cain's sacrifice, which says, I don't trust you, God. I don't know that if I don't hoard this, I mean, you may not provide for me in the future. I know you've got you you gave me this, and thank you very much for that. Now let me hang on to it tightly. And and so there is a distinction. There's a difference between the first and the last. But it's not um it's not just by rule, it's by heart, if that makes sense. It's an understanding of God is the one who is the provider. He is the source of it all, and he is uh, the one to whom it all belongs. And because of this, he's committed as righteous, because he believed that God is who he says he is, that he would do what he said he would do. The same thing with Enoch, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on him, because the Bible just barely mentions him, but it's mentioned here in, uh, in the sense that because he walked with God, that he somehow pleased God in such a way that he did not experience death but was taken straight to heaven. You can read about that for for yourself. It's one line in Genesis. In the middle of a genealogy. But he uses this individual to make the point that this man must have had faith because, he says, without faith it's impossible to please God. There is no way to please God apart from faith. Which is probably why Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That that's an essential component of our salvation, is that there is faith involved. Now, how is this involved? Well, it says every, anyone who comes to God, and that's what we've been talking about, that all the stuff that Jesus has been doing, the way that he's better than the sacrifices, the way that he's better than the priests, the way that he's better than the law of Moses, the way that he's better than the angels, the way that he's better than the tabernacle itself, the way that he's better than all of it, is because he actually makes the way possible for us to come to draw near to God with sincere heart. And so it says, anyone who does this, though, you have to believe that God exists. You can't draw near to a God if you think that God doesn't really exist anyway. How are you going to do that? And secondly, you have to believe that he actually rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you thought that all you were going to get is punishment from him, you probably wouldn't be seeking him either. But if you believe that he does reward those who earnestly seek him, who want to draw near to him with a sincere heart, that he does exist and that's who he is, that's your faith. That's what it is. Believing and approaching him, trusting who he is. And this is what pleases God. Then we have Noah, the example of Noah. Who says, uh, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Two things quickly on him. One, there's a big part of this whole passage that has to do with things not seen, right? And that's what faith is. It's this confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And what we hope for is what God has promised. But we haven't seen it realized yet. But it's an, a confidence and assurance about that, that God who promised... As uh, Numbers tell us, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does God promise and then not act? Does he speak and not fulfill? I mean, that's that's this is who God is. When he says, that's how it goes. And you can look at Noah and you say, okay, well, what about, uh, what if God told Noah, hey, there's going to be this big flood, so you need to build an ark. And Noah had said, ah, another forecast for rain. We know how those turn out. <laughs> Maybe I'll need an umbrella. Maybe I won't need anything at all. But God doesn't forecast like we forecast. We look at the evidence and we make our best guess. But God says, I'm the one who makes it rain. So when I say it's going to rain, it's going to rain. And so this is, again, where Noah takes God at his word and says, If that's what you say, I believe you, and I'm going to now live my life according to that even though I haven't seen a drop of rain yet I'm going to start building a boat I'm going to spend my waking hours building a gigantic boat before I see one drop of rain because I believe that your promise will be fulfilled and it's only in uh, having his life changed by what he believed about God that he and his family were saved from uh, that flood and then we have of course Abraham and Sarah we get a lot more on them and the idea here is, again, that believing the confidence without seeing. You realize when God calls Abraham to go, to leave your family and your father and your home and all that, and go, he doesn't say, and I want you to go and I want you to take this particular road and then take a left here and then, you, <laughs> and then when you see the this, you're there and you go ahead and put your stake down and start building your home. He said, no, I want you to leave all that behind and follow me that's it come and to the place that I will show you and so Abraham leaves he doesn't see the end in advance all he knows is that God has made a promise and so he follows it sounds a little familiar though doesn't it this come follow me that's what Jesus said to the disciples who were not yet disciples disciples They were still fishermen on a boat with their dad. And Jesus walks up and says, basically, leave your father and your family and your home and your job and follow me. And the same is true for us. That's what we're all asked to do. Follow him. And through this, point out one other thing. We've seen several people so far who have all been living by faith and yet they were not doing the same things. And I think it's important to note that. What they all had in common is they all believed that God was that God is who he says he is, that he was, would do what he said he would do. And they built their lives around that. That's what they had in common. And how that worked out in their lives was very different. And we talked last week a little bit about uh, the parable of the prodigal son and how that one went away and did everything wrong, did everything against what his father would desire, but then he came back and was welcomed with open arms. Whereas the older brother stayed close but didn't, and did the things that he was supposed to be doing, but his heart was far away. And this seems like what Jesus was all the time getting on people about. He was saying, you are doing these things as though it's the things and the doing of those, checking those off a list. Like God has given you, okay, here are the things that you have to do, and if you do these things, then I will be happy with you. And so we do those things, we try to make God happy with us. But we really don't want to be close to God. We don't want to draw near to him. We just want him to leave us alone. And maybe if we do these things, he'll leave us alone. At least that's what Jesus was getting on the Pharisees about. And so what... Uh, and when we come up with these lists sometimes is we see something like this and say, oh my goodness, I see it. Noah was a guy who was living by faith because he built a big boat. I should go build a big boat, and then God will be happy with me. Nope. (laughs) Not unless he's told you to build a big boat. And that's the whole point. That it's through their faith their lives are being changed. And how they're being changed is because they are now following the leader. (laughs) You know, I heard on a podcast earlier this week that... uh, talking about leadership and it said you are not a leader unless you are actually leading people in a direction they would not have otherwise gone on their own and so he said this great example he said if you see a parade going down the street and you run up in front of the parade and start walking in front of them they're not following you (laughs) that's where they would be going anyway whether you're there or not and so you're only pretending that you're leading and so but here's the question i have for us As we look at faith as this following actively, are we living lives now that are different because we're actually following Jesus, that he is our leader and he's leading us to places different than where we would have gone our own? Or are we still trying to go our own way and do it in such a way that it kind of looks like maybe we're following him? But nothing's really changing. The examples that are given here are people whose lives were changed. God says, build a boat. Alright, that's what I'm doing now. I'm building a boat. God says, leave your family and, and come follow me. Alright, family, see you later. I'm going to follow God. Because they believe that God is who He says He is. That He will do what He says He will do. And they have such confidence in who He is. And what He has promised. They'll build their whole lives around it. Now we've looked, by the way, this comes pretty deep into the book of Hebrews. And I think it does so because everything that we've looked at so far shows how Jesus is worthy. He's the one that's above everything else. And he's the one who's worthy to be followed, the one worth giving our lives to. He gave his life for us. Not only to pay the penalty for our sin, but to set us free and to give us new life in him. He said, the thief comes to uh, steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So many times we say, you know, thank you for the forgiveness part, but I'm still going to just keep on going my own way. But I know people around the world, uh, a lot of people actually in Africa right now today, because they have said, God, I'm yours. I believe you are, you say you are, I believe in your promises, and I will live my life according to what you want me to do. And so they are there serving him because they felt the call from him to go to Africa and tell others about Jesus. Does that mean then that we should all say, oh, well, if that's what you do to make God happy, then I'll just go do that. Nope. Because sometimes he calls us to go, to places like Africa. And sometimes he calls us to go to places like El Dorado, Cristobal, Sonora, San Angelo. And so some of the ways this gets lived out will be different person to person. And that's why each of us has to, on our own, be drawing near to God with sincere heart. As we read our Bibles, be asking the question, God, what is it that you are calling me to do? instead of just trying to copy the people next to you and what God has called them to do. Although, there's going to be a whole lot of overlap in some of the the big things. For example, the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, that's going to be the same. How that gets worked out in your own life may look a little different. We're all called to the the Great Commission to go... um, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. How that is going to look may be a little different for each person, but that's part of all of it for all of us. We are all called to draw near to God with sincere heart. We are all called to remain in Jesus. We are all called to love one another. But all of this can only be done if we have a firm grasp on who God is and the promises that he's made for the future it mentions in verse 13 here's where we end that all these people were still living by faith when they died they were still living by faith when they died and they did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance that they were foreigners and strangers on earth and you read that line and you go, wait, wh- what? Uh, the whole point was that God could be trusted and he promised these things and now it looks like he didn't fulfill his end of the deal. You know, here they gave their whole lives to him and then at the end, you know, Abraham, at the end of his life, he'd been promised this land for him and his descendants and all the uh, people who'd come after him. And he died and you know how much land he owned and the promised land that God had uh, promised to him? He owned the amount of land it took to bury his wife. That's it. That's all of the promise that had been fulfilled by the time he died. So does that mean that God can't be trusted? In fact, even his son Isaac and even Jacob after him, they didn't have the land yet either. They're living in tents. They didn't go and stake out the ground and start building their house and planting their crops. They lived in tents and kind of moved around. Can God not be trusted? No, it's fact God has a much longer range of vision and the people who trust in him have to have a longer vision as well. If you knew somebody who said they were going to build you a house and it was going to be a great house and they were going to do it completely at their own expense and you said, great, I trust you. Build me the house. And then days and weeks and months go by and you still... You're looking around El Dorado. I don't see, I don't see any groundbreaking going on. What's going on? Then you find out that your job has been transferred, and you actually have to move. Uh, you have to move to Houston. And so, after a year from here, you you're gone. You go to Houston. You get there, and the person who's promised to build you a house is there, and he says, "Look what I built. This is for you. Welcome home." And now, wait a second. I thought you were going to build me a house in El Dorado. And they said, no, why would I build you a house in El Dorado? You are going to be there for such a short time. But here's where you're going to be for the whole rest of your life. Welcome home. The promises that God has made do get fulfilled, but they're on a much longer-range plan. And when it starts with this vision of creation, in the early uh, part of this chapter and the early part of the whole Bible, the whole Bible ends with this vision of um, The new creation. That this is what we have coming before us. And the God who can create out of nothing, even when we say, I don't see it yet, though. I don't see it being constructed. How can I know that it's true? How can I know that it's really going to happen? Two ways. One, we look at the evidence from the past and the ways that God has worked there. And two, don't need to know how it is going to happen or when it's going to happen. All we need to know is who it is that's made the promise. And if he can be trusted, then we can trust it. And if he can be trusted, and if we can trust him, then the question is, are we building the whole rest of our lives around that? Around who he is, what he's done for us in Jesus, and what he will continue to do on until forever. That is our question. We will get more examples next week. But for now, let us continue to follow the leader. Let our lives be changed by him. Go in a different direction than we would otherwise. And following actively, say, I trust him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.